be going to Psalm 141. So we'll start here with our summary statement for this psalm. Psalm 141, praise to the Lord. To be kept while waiting. I'll go over that again. Psalm 141. Praise to the Lord. To be kept while waiting. Simple outline for the psalm in two parts. Verses 1 to 4, keep me from evil. Verses 5 to 10, keep me from the wicked. I'll go over that one more time. Verses 1 to 4, keep me from evil. Verses 5 to 10, keep me from the wicked. Okay, so we'll go to our observations for Psalm 141. Uh, This psalm was written by David. You can see the superscription there, a psalm of David. Uh, So it is ascribed to him. Um, Again, the continued use of the word for psalm here. Uh, indicates being sung with with instrumental accompaniment and there's no other musical direction uh, in the heading or in the text of the psalm beyond that there's also no occasion that is given for the psalm and um, really the when you look at the subject matter and and the expressions in the psalm it's they are very general um, so there's just not really any indication of a particular um, sort of occasion that, that might have given rise to the writing of the psalm. Uh, to categorize this psalm, I think we should categorize it as a lament. It's a little, it's a little varied uh, from the standard lament, but it does really have most of those elements uh, that's pretty predominant in the psalm. So uh, verses 1 to 2 give you direct address prayer to God um, with request to be heard. Verses 3 and 4 then give a petition to be kept from evil. And verses 5 to 7, which really would be what you'd consider the crisis complaint of the psalm, though once again, it is fairly general. It's, it's not uh, the sort of crisis complaint that seems to be uh, some particular immediate um, pressing situation. Verse 8 gives us an expression of confidence in the Lord. And verses 9 and 10, and this is, you know, just, again, it, does, it kind of varies a little bit. But in verses 9 and 10, we essentially get um, imprecation. So um, instead of ending with a commitment to praise or, or you know, anything like that. Um, so it does differ a little bit. But generally, again, lament, I think, is the, the best primary categorization. It does have some minor elements, um, one of those being wisdom. And so you get in the psalm um, 
references to the snares and the traps, and which is very, very common in, in wisdom literature. Uh, but you also get the wisdom reversal. So in verse 10, uh, you know, let, let the wicked be taken in their own nets or traps or um, whatever that they have set. Um, again, you do get minor elements of imprecations in the psalm. And once again, um, imprecations are um, prayers for judgment. And we've seen some more recently that are uh, very startling. And so these might seem to be rather mild compared to those. But still yet, that, that, is, um, that is what the, what the prayer is. Now, Psalm 141, it does connect with this other David group. And so we're in this um, final group of David psalms that comes right before the end of the psalms. And in these David psalms in this group, we get the themes of distress and affliction and opposition and trouble from enemies and and all of that sort of thing, which, again, uh, sort of reminds us of of very early um, David Psalms. Uh, You do have particular connections with Psalm 140. So in Psalm 140 and and in Psalm 141 both, you have references to, obviously, to the distress, um, to snares and to traps and to speech, speech as being um, one of the things singled out as a particular problem or part of the crisis, Um, imprecations being prayed, uh, and references to head, to David's head. And we had, had that in both of those, um, so we get that again in this psalm. Now, as far as the poetic features of Psalm 141 goes, the primary would be the structure of the psalm, and so it's just composed um, in five verse pairs. So essentially, you, know, you have ten verses, and you just got five verse pairs um, that go together, and and sort of... Um, they sort of almost jump. Uh, you know, there's not, it's not really necessarily smooth transition um, as each pair sort of has its own central thought. Um, not to say that the whole psalm isn't cohesive, it is, but, uh, you know, there, there does seem to be a, a transition of thought from, from pair to pair as you move through the psalm. Uh, in terms of, of imagery and, and poetic expression and, and things like repetition, um, that we see a lot in the Psalms. doesn't have a lot of that. It's pretty minimal in this Psalm. There is some minor imagery. Uh, there is a little bit of, of repetition, that sort of thing. All right, so we want to um, work our way through this Psalm. Ten verses. I'm going to go ahead and read these. Lord, I cry unto thee. Make haste unto me. Give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Let my prayer be set forth thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Incline not my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity, and let me not eat of their dainties. Let the righteous smite me, it shall be a kindness, and let him reprove me, it shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my head. For yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. When their judges are overthrown in stony places, they shall hear my words, for they are sweet. Our bones are scattered at the grave's mouth, as when one cutteth and cleaveth wood upon the earth. But mine eyes are unto thee, O God, the Lord. In thee is my trust, 
Leave not my soul destitute. Keep me from the snares which they have laid for me and the gins of the workers of iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets whilst that I withal escape. All right, so verses 1 and 2 open up this psalm, and it's, it, you do get some repetition in, in these two verses. It's a, it's a repeated request to be heard, and um, that's not uncommon, uh, as we have seen in lament-type psalms. And this request to be heard, um, again, it's, it's a request that has a basis. It's, it's based in God's covenant faithfulness. It's, it's the idea that there's, that, there's, that there's reason to be heard. So it's not, um, it's not like the sort of plea um, where, you know, someone's just sort of, you know, taking a, sh- a shot in the dark. You know, well, all, all he could do is say no or, or ignore us or something, and so we'll just give it a try. But, but that he has reason. There, he has a right um, to pray these prayers and to make these requests. And so that also tells us that there's an expectation of being heard. And one of the uh, commonalities that we have seen in the laments is, is the idea of waiting. And that is present here again, um, that idea of waiting. And sometimes it's voiced explicitly in terms of the Lord being asked, how long? You know, how long uh, will you allow the, the wicked to continue? How long before you rise up? Or, or how long before you uh, give deliverance? And that sort of thing. Sometimes it's explicit. Other times it's it's implicit, but there's an expectation to be heard and to be answered, and again, that is because of God's covenant faithfulness. Now, he uses the language, you notice this in verse 2, the incense and the evening sacrifice, and so he uses the, the language and sort of the imagery of worship, um, but as it, as it relates to his prayer of distress. And so the, the offering of his prayer, like the smoke of the incense and the lifting of his hands, like the evening sacrifice. So when you think about the, the incense and the evening sacrifice, these were, um, these were practices that, that were offered continually. These are made daily. Um, so there's a continuance of them offered regularly. So on the one hand, um, David doesn't want his prayers to fail or, or, or him to fail to pray. Um, either way that um, that you might think about that, um, but he wants those things to be um, received and um, to be you know the incense uh, sort of the uh, the idea of the incense was the you know the smoke goes up and it's a and it's a pleasing smell. So in other words, the uh, the offering of this worship is is pleasing to God. It's acceptable to God. Let my so again, David's praying. Let my prayer be acceptable. Um, like the incense, like the evening sacrifice. Verses 3 and 4 come back to this idea of speech. Now, uh, we have seen in previous lament how that um, one of the, part of the crisis was the evil speaking that was going on against David. So uh, him being slandered, him being lied against, uh, false witnesses, false accusations, all, all of these sort of things, and also... Um, evil speaking in the sense of conspiring and plotting against him and plotting his downfall. And that's been a continual complaint when you look at all the David Psalms as you, as you go throughout the Psalms. That's just been a continual complaint, evil speaking of his enemies against him. And so in, in, he turns that around a little bit in, in this Psalm 
Um, because essentially he's, he's praying for the Lord to, to set a watch and, and to keep, the, uh, keep his lips and such. Um, and, and he does use some imagery here, like setting a watch. It's, it's like uh, keeping the doors. And, and so it's, it's, you know, it's like, like being a sentry at the gate. You know, don't, allow, um, you know, don't allow anything in that shouldn't be in and anything out that, that shouldn't be out kind of thing. Um, so what, what David is praying here is don't, don't, don't let me um, succumb to evil speech. Or maybe another way to put it is don't, don't let me return evil speech for evil speech received. Um, so he is, he's praying to be delivered from that. And he, he prays to be delivered essentially from temptation, um, inclining of the heart, um, is the is the setting of the heart on? Um, it's it's the um, it's the sort of the entertaining of the idea, the 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 um, mulling over and 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 being drawn toward anything that is sinful or wicked or or evil. And he you know makes this reference about not eating their dainties, and that again would be sort of like a, a wisdom reference because you you have a few. Uh, similar type sayings, and that re- that would refer to delicacies, and and really what the you know what the delicacies are, um, in the sense of being you know some sort of uh, of rich and and great food, um, but it's 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 more like sort of a sort of a pathway in. Don't 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 let me be drawn in to the sins of these workers of iniquity because they you know they may present some pleasures um they they may present um something that's attractive and appealing and and something that maybe even in and of itself is not not necessarily sinful um but don't let me be drawn in and and drawn off guard um by those those sort of things and enjoying the pleasures uh, that would accompany uh that um verses 5 and 6 then is um uh where david is um, looking at the receiving of reproof or, or rebuke. And he says, let the righteous smite me and it shall be a kindness. And the word for kindness, it is um, chesed here. Um, so it, it will be a faithfulness. To be, to be smitten by the righteous, he's saying, will be a faithfulness. Or to be smitten in righteousness will be a faithfulness. It'll, it'll be a covenant loyalty. And the word that's used for smite is actually a very strong word. Um, and it, it means to strike down or, or to hammer down. And so it sometimes um, can be used of what we might think of as demolition, you know, tearing something down, tearing a wall down or, or something like that. So he, he's not talking about, you know, some sort of light and gentle stroke here. He's, he's saying, let, let me be um, stricken down by the righteous and it will be a kindness. And it sort of, uh, it sort of reminded me, a little bit when David um, had numbered the uh, men of Israel he'd sinned against God, and he, he basically gets a choice, you know, of, of what sort of punishment he's going to face. And David, David wanted his, his judgment to be in the hands of God. He didn't want to be turned over to the hands of his enemies, but he wanted, he wanted to suffer um, from the hands of God. And so it just sort of um, reminded me of that in this particular um, verse now the word for the, and there's some to understand is kind of an odd construction, and um, if you look at different translations, um, 
they, they seem to vary quite a bit. And I think the reason is, is that there's, there's some difficulties in, in the Hebrew text and some obscurity there. But the word for excellent, and I, and I know you wouldn't think of it, but the word for excellent is the same word as the word for head. It, it, it is the rosh in the, in the Hebrew, um, and it's the same word for head. And so David is saying that the rebukes of the righteous to him will be um, like head oil, essentially, and, he, and sort of the imagery of being anointed um, with oil being... Um, um, which is which is imagery of of being refreshed, um, maybe even rejoicing, and then he says that it will not break his head, um, his, his his head will not be destroyed by the smiting of the righteous or um, their reproofs. So really, it it is, uh, and it is the same word for head that we saw in the previous Psalm, Psalm one hundred forty, in verses seven and nine. It goes back to Psalm 3 and verse 3 and God the lifter of my head and, and all that. It is, it is the same. Um, and, and especially when it's joined here with the oil. And the, this is, does refer, primarily it could be olive oil, but it could be some other sort of, but mostly it would be olive oil. Um, and so this reference to the head and the reference to the, to the oil and such, it, it's a reference to kingship. And so... Um, David is, is the anointed one in the psalm being smitten um, in righteousness. And what he's saying is, is that will not destroy his reign, but it will establish it. Um, and so that's, that's how that David sees um, those uh, afflictions that he, is, that he has undergone. Um, and then he refers to the judges, the um, which would be the judges of the enemies, and these can be military leaders, these can be uh, magistrates, could be kings, could be, I mean, uh, princes, um, various leaders, um, heads of, of nations, and, and what have you. Um, and when they're, when they're judged, and the uh, phrase actually, I think it's overthrown in stunning places, and the phrase is actually sort of like being thrown over a cliff. Um, when, when they are judged, and this reference to this judgment against them, which again would be, uh, something of an imprecation that, that appears here being thrown over the cliff. And their removal opens the way for sweet words. And so you can see coming out of this, this and this is a verse pair here, so you have reference to his kingship uh, and being smitten in righteousness. And rather than destroying his reign, it establishes his reign. And then the removal of the heads of, of the enemies essentially being thrown over the, over the cliff or dashed against the, the rocks opens, opens the ways for him to speak um, the words of, of truth and grace. Verses 7 and 8 um, are interesting. And again, you can see how the thoughts are sort of just, you know, turning here and, here and there in, in each pair. And so here in, in verse 7, we get this reference to, to bones being scattered at the, at the edge of the grave. Um, shale is the, the word that's used here. And it's an obvious reflection on death. Um, bones being scattered at the edge of the grave. David is like he's, he's looking forward at this point to not looking forward as in an eager anticipation, but he's just sort of looking ahead um, to the end of his life. And David knows it will end. And if you remember Second uh, Samuel chapter 7 and the covenant that God made with David, that through the prophet God spoke to David and he said, 
you know, you're going to sleep with your fathers. So this covenant's going to be fulfilled, but it's not going to be in you, and it's not going to be in your lifetime. You're, you're going to go to the grave. Uh, that was a part of the covenant that God made with him. He, he promised him. So David knows that his life is going to end, and he's looking ahead at the ending of that life. And this uh, bones being scattered like the um, cleaving of, of wood on the earth. Um, the best I- imagery that, that, um, you know, that I could see to describe that would be sort of like the, the chopping and the splitting of wood. And so if, um, and it's even, even using chainsaws or, or whatever um, doesn't, even, doesn't hurt this imagery. I mean, it translates very well in, into modern times because if you've ever, um, you know, cut up wood and, you know, you stack the wood for the firewood or whatever it is that you're doing and maybe you haul it away or whatever, well, you know, when you look down there on the ground, what do you see? Well, you see all the little chips and splinters and, and all the, the sawdust and everything that's, that's scattered um, all over the place. And that's the image that, that David is using of his bones at the edge of the grave. In other words, being, being dried up and, and decayed and essentially returned to dust um, is sort of what we, what we would get from that. Um, so just like the, just like the, when you, you know, you chop the wood, well, the, all the little splinters and the little pieces and all that sort of thing, well, you know, that's, that's kind of left behind. And that's David's point as he gets into the next verse because he, he continues here um, and immediately there's an expression of confidence. And so David has his own death in prospect. So as you come into, into verse 8, he's got his death in prospect, his bones being, you know, like the dust and the, just the scattered sawdust on, on the earth. Um, his eyes are on the Lord. And he says, in, in him he trusts. And the word for trust is that word for taking refuge that we saw starting all the way back in Psalm 2 and verse number 12. And, and it's a covenantal reference to trusting in God. And if you remember back in Psalm 2 and verse number 12, those who take refuge in him will not be broken in pieces by him when he comes. That's back, that's again, that starts in Psalm 2 and we've, we've seen that scattered throughout the Psalms. And so David is saying that, that his eyes are on the Lord, he has his death in prospect, his, his present life, there are distresses and dangers, but, he, but his eyes are on the Lord, and he has taken refuge in him. And then look at that request there in verse 8, leave not my soul destitute. So his bones are scattered, scattered and, and fragmented due to death, and yet he's taken refuge in the Lord, so he's entrusting his soul. Now that word for destitute is the same word that was chanted by the Edomites for the destruction of Jerusalem back in Psalm 137 and verse number 7, which, which they, the word itself basically means like stripped bare or um, you know, left empty, le- left with nothing. And that's essentially what the Edomites were saying to do to Jerusalem, just like you know, strip the ground bare, make it, make it such that you know, it doesn't even look like a city ever existed here. And so this is what David is, is praying does not happen to his soul. Though his bones will be scattered, that God will keep his soul. And, of course, you get really um, sort of a subtle um, hint and nod toward resurrection um, in that. So you, you have that death and resurrection imagery, um, which, again, is pretty common in, in David's psalms. 
And then verses 9 and 10 that give us the last verse pair in this psalm. And here David sort of reinforces this prayer. He comes back to the present and he reinforces this prayer to be delivered from the snares, from the traps, from the, from the nets, from all the, all the, all the devices um, and mechanisms that the, the enemies lay um, to try to capture him and to bring him down. So in the present, again, David's in continual danger, continual distress. The enemy's laying traps for him, and he's praying to be kept. And verse 10 gives us that imprecation that's also sort of a wisdom reversal. Let them fall in their own nets um, while I escape or, or while I go free. So with his eyes on the Lord, he prays for the wicked to fall into their own traps while he is unharmed. He is delivered. He is, he is free. All right, so let's go to interpretation. So Psalm 141 is, is not the sort of psalm um, like we've seen some here recently that sort of give a, this long list of the praiseworthy acts and attributes of God. And of course, it's, it is a lament that we do have expressions of confidence. And so there's when, if you're thinking about sort of theology, you know, what is this psalm uh, teaching about God proper? Um, it's more implicit than it is explicit in this psalm. And so really w- when, you, when you look at, at David's prayer, you see that you know, this, this, is, this is taking refuge in the Lord. So what this psalm, I think one of its primary teachings is the orientation that the faithful have to life. So David understood the present life with its dangers and distresses. And so the psalm sort of goes in the present and the more near future. Uh, David looks ahead to the grave and even beyond the grave a little bit and then comes back to the present. And when we read this psalm in the flow of the psalms that that we've been tracking as we've been going all the way through the psalms, we see the idea of of waiting that has come up so often, especially in the lament psalms, and and it's sort of of inherent in a lament, just sort of built into a lament. I mean, if you're you're praying and, and you're in distress and you're crying out for deliverance, then that means that deliverance hasn't come yet. And so the the whatever the distress is has has seemed to go on for a long time, so that's just sort of built in um, to the lament, and so the idea of waiting and and trusting, but if 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 we think about you know what David's praying here, especially we're so close to the end of the Psalms and everything that we have seen, um, you know, developing and and flowing along as we've been going through the Psalms, David knows that. Ultimately, trust in the Lord um, and, and waiting for that deliverance means presently um, trouble and distress and, and difficulty. So David prays to be kept, and he prays to be kept. When you look at this psalm as a whole, he prays to be kept even unto death to be kept even, even when his bones are scattered and fragmented like the sawdust. So he wants to be kept from the evil that threatens him. He wants to be kept from temptations that are um, pressing on him. 
and he, and, he, and he prays for his soul to be kept, which again, that subtle um, resurrection hope that really this, this, sort of a, this sort of a prayer only makes sense if there is hope beyond that grave, um, if there's hope beyond the, the bones returning to dust. Um, you know, it's sort of like what Paul said, you know, if we have hope in, in this life only, then we're just the most miserable of, of all people. So David knows that this life is not when he's going to receive the good things, um, but that that is in the life to come, and that this present life uh, has its distresses and afflictions for him continually, um, but he is going to be delivered from the grave. Now, um, the messianic hope of Psalm 141 is seen particularly through David's life prefiguring the life of his son, his greater son, Jesus. So David knew, if you think about this, this psalm, David knew that his head would be kept through suffering. And again, we've seen this kingship-type reference numerous times in the psalm. So what, what could this psalm point to in regard to the Messiah? Well, it, it foreshadows the suffering of Christ before the crown. And again, this is, this is something that um, maybe wasn't seen quite as clearly. And, and we're seeing how, as we were going through the Gospel of Matthew currently, we're seeing how that Christ is opening up some of these things to his disciples. You know, we get sort of summary references like in Luke 24, how he, you know, he began at Moses and, and throughout all the, the Psalms and the prophets and whatever, you know, he explained everything um, concerning himself. So this foreshadows the sufferings of Christ and that these come before the crown and before his father David's throne. So there's a number of, of places we could turn to in the New Testament and such, but I just, I just want, so having this psalm in mind, let's just read through Isaiah 53 and, and see how, um, how much that these go together. So Isaiah chapter 53, beginning with verse 1, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. So verse 3 um, is a, a verse that we think about in connection with this psalm. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So David, David sees his life in this psalm as being characterized by danger and distress. And again, that's giving us a, a prefiguring of the life of Jesus Christ, just like it's prophesied here in Isaiah 53. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And then here's at the end of verse four, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Remember how in, in about the middle of the psalm, David says that it will be God's chesed for the righteous to strike him down. And rather than breaking his head 
or destroying his reign, it will establish it like the anointing of the oil. We go on reading here, verse 5 in Isaiah 53. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now listen to verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Um, Peter, I think, used the expression that when he was reviled, he reviled not again. And again, we see, we see in, this, in this prayer how David has suffered from the evil speaking against him and prays for his mouth to be guarded like a closely watched gate, that he not return the same in kind. Um, verse 8, he was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? And here we get to the part in Isaiah 53, talking about the death of the servant of Yahweh. For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquity. So once, once again, it's, it's emphasized in Isaiah 53. He is, he's, he's stricken by the Lord. The Lord, God, has, has made him an offering for sin. And then we get to resurrection in Isaiah 53, beginning with verse 12. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. <laughs> it's a strange thing to talk about someone going to the grave and then receiving their inheritance. But that's exactly what Isaiah 53 says. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So once again, you, you know, we, we see this, uh, we, we see this prefiguring um, the life of Christ, and that before the suffering is the crown, and the suffering is not going to destroy his reign, rather it's going to establish it. All right, um, let's go to application. I have two of these, and they're pretty closely related, but we'll start with the first one. Understanding Psalm 141 does help us understand how to face life. Again, um, overall, we see that a primary teaching in this psalm is the orientation of the faithful. Those who are taking refuge in the Lord that orientation toward life and all of its troubles and distresses. So the life of David, and obviously the life of the greater David, Jesus, shows us that the present life is not one of reward for the faithful. The present life is not where we are seeking or expecting our reward. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying that God doesn't give us blessings. God, God blesses us abundantly um, in, in this life. He does bless us 
greatly. We, we have thousands of, of reasons that we probably haven't even thought about that we have for giving thanks to God for ways he has blessed us and, and delivered us. But nevertheless, that ultimate reward is not in, in this life. And suffering comes bef- before that time. So we are surrounded by dangers and distresses that threaten us. Now, we're, you know, none of us are the anointed of the Lord. None of us are prefiguring the, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but rather, we're following after. So in, in many ways, many things in, in his life show us um, the life of the faithful. So, so with our eyes on the Lord, then the lesson of the psalm is that we must trust him unto, unto death. You know, times of, of waiting um, are, on the one hand, times of delay, times of distress, but they're also times of temptation. So that brings us to number two. Understanding Psalm 141 helps us understand the dangers that we face. And so when we are waiting, we, we are tempted by the sins of the wicked. We're, we're tempted by the delicacies that might draw us in we're tempted to join them and that's what david is is ultimately praying about here to be delivered from he doesn't he doesn't want to to join them he wants to um walk in holiness before the lord during this time and so then that helps us i think to see that we we need to be honest about our own weaknesses i mean David is praying for you know his mouth to be guarded and kept. He's he's praying obviously for his heart not to be inclined toward evil. He's he's praying that he's you know he's not going to be drawn in. He's not going to give up and faint. He's going to be that you know God's going to preserve him unto death. And so we we really do need to be honest about our own weaknesses. That we certainly have have a need to pray this way just just as David did because. Um, we're we're flesh and blood, um, just like he. Um, and then you might say, um, on that last of all, is is also embrace the strike of the faithful. And you think about um, passages like Hebrews chapter twelve that talks about the chastisement of the Lord and um, to receive it, um, to embrace it, and to bear up under it. That we would learn what it is that God has, has for us, recognizing that, again, those, those wounds of a friend, they are faithful wounds. And though there is um, instant and, 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 and maybe momentary pain involved in that, it is ultimately for our good. <laughs>